Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 83. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing all right. Today we have a great show lined up. First we'll be speaking with director Uwe Boll on his new film, Postal 2, which is currently funding on Kickstarter. We're going to follow that up with an interview with Sophie Huber, the director of Harry Dean Stanton Partly Fiction, which hits theaters this Friday. Then we'll be going over some of what we've been watching before going over the results of this year's summer movie pool. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand, and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up, let's jump right into our interview with Dr. Uwe Boll and talk about some Postal 2. Uh, Uwe, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us. And I want to talk about, I just want to get right into Postal 2. Uh, what made you decide to pick this film in particular for Kickstarter? I assume that maybe you ran out of the Nazi gold? Yeah, absolutely. Like the Nazi gold was uh, burned into all my other movies. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and so I felt like I, I, I looked at Kickstarter or crowdfunding for a longer time and um, I always felt the only way uh, that I would do it and it, where it makes sense to try it is with Postal 2. Uh, Postal was for me like a, a change in my career. After a long time I started writing again and Postal was the first script I, I wrote after years and, and made the movie out of it. and I started my whole career with a basically a little disgusting over the top uh, funny movie in German fried movie 1991 was my first movie uh, based on the Kentucky fried movie and movies like this so um, I totally enjoyed doing Postal I had so much fun on set making the movie touring with the movie the only thing what was no fun was the financial results of <laughs> Postal, oh, they were bad, and, I can only and, imagine. <laughs> and then in the last uh, eight years, wherever wherever I went, like uh, people came, came on festivals or conventions or whatever, wherever uh, I was, people came and uh, wanted for me, like I signed something, and it was always postal stuff. Like fifty percent of the people came with a postal DVD for me to sign, or as you see my Facebook page, it's me and Bin Laden and. Bush and and so I never got away from postal from this from this feeling like this was a real statement mm -hmm. and it also mm -hmm. represents my kind of humor with with South Park uh, Family Guy this kind of mm -hmm. humor and mm -hmm. and so uh, I felt maybe there are enough fans out that are really interested in seeing Postal Two and it will not happen if we don't if we don't get that five hundred thousand goal on Kickstarter uh, if we don't reach it. I will put a million bucks on top of this and we make the movie with like one and a half million, maybe even two million in the end. But I need that 500,000 initial, uh, initial funding to just know, okay, here are enough people, here is an interest in it, and I can go that risk to make the movie. So in the sequel, because this you're funding it on Kickstarter, you kind of have the ability to include whatever kind of content you want. With the first Postal, was there anything that you had to hold back on when creating the film? No. I mean, I had like huge discussions with my uh, producer. I worked so long with Sean Williamson. He said he doesn't want to have anything to do with the movie. And, uh, for example, the window washer guy from, from, the, uh, <laughs> from the World Trade Center is Dan Clark, my other 
producer who is always doing the line producing of all, all of my movies. So he laughed it, and, he, and, and because we couldn't find an extra who wanted to do it, they all felt like, oh, this hurts my career or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm actually happy that I didn't uh, hold anything back uh, on on anything on the on the movie, uh, uh, the political issues, the the sex jokes, the trailer trash jokes, and, and everything. And if you think about it, eight years ago, there was no Honey Boo Boo or that reality TV, TV like the Jersey Shore. Uh, you know, like now we have people like the trailer trash people are basically now our new TV heroes and the role models for the young generation in, in, in the world. And I mean, it's, it's disgusting and it's... Uh, it got worse and worse and worse in the last eight years, actually. What you just said along with your latest Kickstarter video update, it seems like you're kind of going straight for the jugular with Hollywood and this whole like reality TV culture. Is that the case? Yeah, of course. I mean, I felt uh, that a lot of times I feel like, I can't, did I really the only person who is pissed about stuff like this? <laughs> and, and, uh, and everybody else is in arrangement with it, accepts all this and not flipping out, you know? Like, I mean, look at the, uh, I mean, the thing is, if I give an interview, I never know if I maybe talk to Scientologists here or whatever, right? <laughs> but I think it's so, like with the After Earth movie or whatever, it's so obvious what's going on, oh, yeah. you know? Like, it's so idiotic, that whole idea that a, an absolutely untalented science fiction writer turns into a huge religion and intelligent, very rich people basically uh, going with it. I mean, like, for me, it's just, like, amazing how a Tom Cruise can play Stauffenberg or something like that exist and at the same time he he is a scientologist who thinks like there are maybe aliens somewhere flying around in a in a spaceship it's like it's just childish i mean i couldn't take him serious it, it's like and, and but hollywood takes him serious they give him 150 million dollars to, to make movies and uh, i mean this all that stuff is for me like uh it's so absurd that it's good to make a comedy about it because in the in the real world, if you make the movie like my last thing, Saul on Wall Street, is a serious movie about the, the bailouts and what happened to people, and the guy goes after the bankers and and starts shooting them. It's a radical kind of approach. What I did in Dafur, what I did in Rampage, in various movies where I showed something serious. But I think Postal has a bigger chance to actually hit hit the mark better mm-hmm. than that to 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 make it so absurd that it's also it cannot get criticized right mm-hmm. you know? like so mm-hmm. look at zero dark 30 i mean this is the official version of the bin laden death and i mean we will of course show the real version of bin laden <laughs> <laughs> and larry thomas is already uh, back on track he, he totally wants to do it and i mean uh, there is an opportunity to just uh, to just make make fun out of it and say, look, uh, the guy never left America. So, I mean, I don't know what doorbell you ringed in Pakistan, but it was not Bin Laden. And my theory is this. So they crashed the helicopter coming in because the pilot lost completely control. And then uh, this, the, the other guys went to the compound and ringed the doorbell. And it was a guy who totally had nothing to do with Bin Laden, but he got shot right away. Then they put him in the helicopter and then they found out, oh shit, like it, it, it's actually not Bin Laden, and they threw him in the ocean and said this was the official <laughs> funeral. So, because because Obama was already preparing a speech and stuff like this, but I want to actually film that, and I, I think uh, 
this are the answers we 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 the world is waiting for basically <laughs> you know i mean we saw everybody almost live dying in tv gaddafi and everything right saddam hussein's hanging mm-hmm. but the mm-hmm. most wanted terrorist of all times and every navy seal has an iphone and could make millions of dollars with a photo of the dead bin laden but there is nothing i mean nothing it's true and and uh, for me it's just like not really believable and uh i uh, on our last movie uh, we had a cgi guy from pakistan actually uh working on the show because cgi in india and pakistan is so much cheaper now and uh, so then the guy said like it was five years ago in the newspapers that bin laden died on a kidney failure what actually would make totally sense because he was like hiding everywhere and take, and, and he needed the the dialysis every week right and that at one point they couldn't do it anymore and he just his blood got poisoned and he died i mean this would totally make sense that he actually is already dead since years but what a what a disaster for the american government and the cia to just like can you can you imagine the press conference like oh yeah five years ago he died <laughs> so it's like we have no clue what we're doing so they needed a heroic act like a real navy seals operation now finally we have him i mean it totally makes sense that it was all hollywood it was basically like a little like argo meets uh, uh, uh whack the dog okay um do you have the do you have the script finished for postal 2 no, I have a, a, a treatment written out, and then what I want to do is I want to uh, shoot in LA to get more possibilities to shoot in original locations, get cameos from more people. They uh, they would maybe give us an hour or two hours, but they would not fly up to Vancouver or something to do it. So I really want to do it in Los Angeles, and uh, I think um, we we can do a lot of things a little jackass style there where we don't really we cannot really script it um, we mm-hmm. just have to go for it and then the the treatment the basic storyline with him living in the trailer park with having 10 retarded kids um uh, is is uh, <laughs> and jackie tone got a little fatter also uh, uh, so she said okay. <laughs> i told her she should start eating uh, so that he's basically trapped again in the total disastrous situation but it's 10 years later and uh and of course they got all like handicapped kids because of the nuclear fallout mm-hmm. so and uh so for him the only chance is that he will be a, a reality tv hero uh. now where it's Totally, uh, uh, he sees it nonstop. I mean, you only have to see an episode of Duck Dynasty, and then you know I can do it. Also. Uh, and and uh, I mean, this is then the way it goes. And so, um, uh, and I, I want to to see also like how much money we actually can spend to write it in a way that it's it's doable. Right. You know, okay. cannot write in a, a big shootout in front of a Chinese theater or something. It will never happen. So we have mm-hmm. to produce it clever, and we have to. Uh, to see about what what kind of resources we we can have now um you do have uh jackie ton and larry thomas confirmed are you talking with zach ward to get him to come back to the postal dude yeah i mean i uh, uh he, he said in the beginning he wants to be very active in, in it and uh i said absolutely but we have to see first if we can do the the kickstarter campaign and whatever and he, i think he has also kind of an illusion he gets too much too much money for it i said like no we will not have like we have maybe 10 15 percent of the budget of the first part so you cannot think about the payday here this is something you have to do because you like it and i think that mm-hmm. what was 
the perfect postal dude. And I think also, to be honest, it was the best part he ever had in his whole life. <laughs> and he was completely stupid not doing it, right? So I expect he will totally do it. And uh, But I have to, to sit down with him and say, okay, here, here is how I want to do it. I mean, in the beginning, he said he wants to co-write it, whatever, but I don't like that. Mm. I think mm. it cannot, like, yeah, because actors have always that tendency to look, make them look better if they write something. Right. And I, I don't think it should happen. I, I, I think he, he should be an actor on it, and this is it. So it means not that he cannot change lines or something, but it, it means definitely what I don't want is that he he tries to make his character more likable or whatever. I mean, he is likable and he was likable in the first one, but it, it cannot be like uh, that he s starts to steal the show. Yeah. 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 So mm -hmm. will you will the film be following kind of any aspects from the video game? Because the first one, it, it actually did pull a lot from the postal video games. Or are you talking with the, the game creators about the sequel at all? Uh, absolutely. Vince Dizzy and uh, Mike Jarrett, they're completely on, on board here. And uh, I uh, totally uh, uh, talk to them and I want to bring aspects from, from Postal 3 then into, into the movie. Yeah, so we definitely do that. Uh, Story-wise, it's a little tougher because the game doesn't really have the right. a great storyline. So, And I right. always know like, Vince loves the vibe. Violence. Vince loves like disgusting humor. Vince doesn't really like my political uh, incorrectness. So my, I mean, he likes political incorrectness, but he said like, don't make jokes about the Navy SEALs or whatever, right? So, and I give a fuck, you know, like this is the thing. It's a, it's a little, I really don't have any holdbacks. I'm uh, willing and make fun out of everything. Right. And, uh, um, and I'm neutral. For, for me, the thing is like, what a lot of people didn't get, also with the, with the first part, when I toured around, I had that sometimes harsh discussion with the audience. They said, oh, we are insulted, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like uh, uh, the movie is a real anarchistic movie. It, it doesn't uh, blame one religion or one race or one nation or whatever. It, it totally goes after everybody. Mm -hmm. And basically declares everybody for re you're all retarded, yeah. So and and we are all retarded. <laughs> and uh, I mean, this is the thing where I uh, uh, where I don't have any holdbacks, and I don't want any holdbacks, uh, uh, and I don't want a censorship. Let's say it this way, you know. I don't want like no, you cannot say this or you cannot say that. And I, I always think the good thing in a movie like this is also, and this is how I how I really see the world is. I want to step up for like the people they are not represented. This is the thing with the bailout movie. I mean, I showed like the the uh, uh, most of the big bankers after the bailouts uh, didn't get charged. They kept the money. They got bigger bonus payments. But we had seven million people going in personal bankruptcy ba based on the bailouts, and and nobody helped them. You know. So and I mean, this, this is the thing too. To step up to say, look, this is like unfair. This is not okay, you know. And it was not okay to to let the people in Sudan die. And I mean, if three hundred fifty thousand people are getting hacked in pieces and nobody's doing anything for seven or eight years, uh, but then now when Assad is like killing twelve hundred people with ga gas, 
then they have a final reason or whatever to do a strike against Assad in, in Syria. It's kind of absurd. It's like mm -hmm. different, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I mean, it's different uh, kind of uh, values of human life, what the pol political parties have. And uh, it, it's totally not okay. And I think as a filmmaker, you can point out stuff like this. And you can point out in, in a funny way, in a poster too, movie, you can point out the absurdity of some uh, uh, ideas. Look at Snowden. I mean, look at the movie mm -hmm. like Green Zone, where Matt Damon is in a way, in the end, a whistleblower and is a hero. And everybody is totally like, yeah, that, that bad guys in, 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 uh, uh, in the Green Zone they needed to get like taken out basically and and Matt Damon is doing it but in reality a guy like him would be Snowden and Snowden would go lifelong prison right exactly you know and, and, and this this is what I don't get it's like totally it's totally absurd I mean uh, what Bradley Manning did I, I think it's something if somebody cannot stand it anymore the injustice and the absurdity of a war and leaks information to WikiLeaks uh, it's maybe a crime, but it's also something what helped all of us to understand better what's going on for real. And uh, the same with Snowden. Nobody would talk about the taping of emails and everything before Snowden came out with it. Nobody. There would be no talk on the whole planet about the NSA, period. And, and, uh, uh, and then Obama acts like he was talking to the NSA uh, to to change the NSA, blah 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 blah. But it's all completely bullshit. You know, it's, it's like made up by somebody who is in a the corner there. And then Obama says, to, uh, basically, Snowden should come back. Yeah, to put him also thirty years in jail, like like Bradley Manning. I mean, it's like uh, uh, it's absurd. And it's it's also I'm pissed as the Germans that we didn't give uh, uh, Snowden a, a chance to, to come to Germany and be a witness in uh, in in. in Tons of lawsuits are already filed in Germany against the NSA, uh, and uh, I think that that then the German politics are also like basically pussies. You know, they they are like, no, uh, we don't need Snowden because, of course, they have an agreement with US that if there's an arrest warrant on a guy in Germany in on, from USA, they have to give him they have to give him out there, right? So and. Uh, they uh, they don't want him. They don't want him in Germany. But I think it's uh, if somebody is a crown witness in the case, what where Germany is interested in, uh, you can protect him. You can say no, we're not giving him back before that legal issues are cleared up. And um, I mean to finish the NSA thing up. I think what the people don't get is that if somebody basically has all our correspondence taped or on file. What is if you have a Snowden number two, but this guy is an asshole, and this guy takes all the information out to blackmail people, mm -hmm. and to, mm -hmm. to uh, uh, you know, and this is like if there is something uh, from the NSA tape, what shouldn't be there, and uh, but it's there, then people or a whole Chinese government takes uh, information out. There's like a lot of stuff what what people can use against us against the freedom again like blackmailing people uh, uh stealing uh industrial uh, uh like uh, whatever engineering techniques building atom bombs i mean if you have everything on file everything can get in a way uh, stolen and i think this is the point why why uh, uh it should not happen yeah you know and we live yeah. we live in a, in a in a country of i think the us and germany are kind of um, similar in re in regards of uh, civil rights and democracy and stuff like this and we, we, we all say 
uh, normally without a, uh, an arrest warrant or without a warrant from a judge, the police or whoever it is, is are not allowed to tape my phone. And that the NSA is just skipping that and, and tapes everybody's phone is absurd. It's illegal. And we just cannot say, if this is all okay, then okay, on what basis we are living in a country? Then why I cannot rob a bank? If, if, if other people don't care about what, other, what is the law, why I should care what, what is the law? And I think this is a very, very, very important subject matter. And, and, uh, and now I think they're already happy to have Assad, like the Syria issue, in the headlines to basically move away from the whole NSA disaster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, they did. They you know, do that and this a lot. is like very big. <laughs> yeah, totally, but the, the total Germany also, like nobody talks about the NSA anymore. But the reality is that the NSA thing is the important thing for us. It's not like this kind of uh, uh, Syria is one other Arab country where everything is out of control, and whoever wins in the end will hate America 100%. And whoever wins in the end uh, there will be like fundamentalists uh, uh, ruling it and uh, um, I mean the whole Arab Spring was basically bullshit I mean I don't see in Libya or Egypt or Tunisia now uh, peace freedom uh, uh, economically that it grows or whatever no the opposite the total chaos and uh, uh, under Mubarak, I mean, I was on holidays in Tunisia, I was on holidays in Egypt, holidays in Morocco. It was peaceful. It was good. They made most of the money with tourism in their countries. And it's all over now because they're all like completely out of control. And uh, I don't know where, what they exchanged there, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, under Mubarak, no Egypt guy was, but it was not like, not like Kim Il-jung or something. You know, it was like uh, you could travel. You could, uh, uh, it, it was nobody was under slavery or whatever. So I, I really don't get it why they so heavily worked with the, the CIA also on replacing all the dictators. And I mean, the real dictators are in Saudi, in Saudi Arabs. I mean, they pay the Al Qaeda. Mm. But because they have all the oil, nobody talks ever about them. You know, like this is just mm. like, oh, no, don't forget that Saudi Arabs are our best friends. Yeah, but based on what? Hanging people publicly hacking hands off if somebody steals, women have no rights, whatever. But nobody cares about the Saudi Arabs because they have all the oil. This is so two-faced. Yeah. That whole politics yeah. is so two-faced. It's, it's a disaster. And I totally hope that Obama would clear that all up based on his big speeches, you know, before. I mean, he won the Peace Nobel Prize without doing anything. And he didn't even... Uh, uh, at Guantanamo Bay closed down, nothing. I mean, he's, for me, a huge disappointment, an unbelievable disappointment. I, can't, I just cannot really believe it, how disappointed I am about uh, American politics in the last six years. From Bush, I never expected anything else. <laughs> for, for Bush was, for me, clearly like, okay, he's paid by the weapon industry and oil industry. And uh, there was no question about it. And, and so I was not really disappointed from Bush. He was exactly what I was expecting. But from Obama, I was really expecting some major revolutionary steps in uh, bringing peace, closing Guantanamo Bay, don't do any more military action against anybody, and uh, uh, yeah. and, yeah. and going against the, the, the biggest financial fraud in history, what the, the bailouts were. Yep, and now we have drone strikes and NSA watchers and everything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, without any holdbacks, like to totally 
like, uh, uh, I mean, in, in a way, he's a great actor that he's able to, with his kind of the, the whole, the nice family he has, and then he plays a little basketball here, and then whatever. It's like, it's, a, it's like the perfect scumbag, basically. But, in, but, but on, the, on, the, on the basis of his uh, politics, it, it's like, I mean, look at this. I, can't, I really cannot, uh, I cannot believe it. It's like uh, uh, the, all the wrong steps getting... Uh, get, getting made and uh, uh, look at the banks when you go back to the Wall Street situation uh, and I really really did my, my work on it and my research and the thing what had to happen was that the investment banking side has to be separated from the side of the bank what basically has our savings so if the investment side of a bank goes under then our savings or monthly payments or whatever cannot get touched by the bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. this is only possible if you basically divide the banks up. Like you say to Morgan Stanley, you can do investment banking, but you have to have a Morgan Stanley too protecting whatever, like not protected to up to 100,000, no protected to whatever the clients have in money. It cannot get touched if you tank your money on the other side in like high risk businesses. And, and th this never get, got done. So we have now the problem that uh, we can have a new bailout situation coming if they gamble too much. And there was a movie, it was right now, uh, it won a prize in Locarno at the festival right now, uh, Master of the Universe. And I, wa I watched that already because the filmmaker gave it to me uh, before it, it's not released anywhere. And it's a 90 minutes documentary about one broker for the UBS, the Switzerland bank, and uh, he explains for 90 minutes what he was doing, actually. And he presents some facts where you think, like, oh, my fucking God, like, I cannot believe it. And, and for example, he said his computer, 98% of the, of the deals made on Earth are basically made automatically through, through computers. They read, like, if a stock price mm -hmm. goes, goes a little lower, then they buy it, goes a little higher, they sell it. Like, it's basically computer-driven. You cannot do anything anymore. Mm -hmm. And he said he was sitting mm -hmm. there at one point on his desk and his computer was flipping out and like 38 million bucks gone in two hours. But the, the thing is, they were gone for real. Like, <laughs> he was like, oh my God. Yeah, so and he couldn't stop it. So he ripped the cables and everything. And, uh, and he said like two, uh, uh, 10 years ago, a normal, if you bought a stock, you buy General Electric or whatever, uh, you sit on that stock for years, right? So, and, and even, even 10 years ago was a lot of computer generated traffic already. But the normal stock was two and a half months in a, in a, in a, in, on an account before it got sold. And now it's 22 seconds. So the average holding period of a stock is 22 seconds only. That shows the computers, they sell and buy and sell and buy. You don't have, to, you don't have no influence for it. And they do that in an amount every single day. What is bigger is the gross, annual growth of the world. Right. So, and if yeah. you think about it, if you think about it, so we are completely in the hands of computers trading every day uh, and uh, doing it with, with the, not with clients' money, doing it with the money of the banks, what the banks are borrowing, and then they gamble with it. So if this gets hacked, if this is like not his computer alone, let's say 10,000 computers getting hacked, the earth goes under. It's like over. There are no bailouts anymore. Then, then, then we have like, 20 trillion disastrous losses within a day.
if this computer system uh, uh, is, is over, and then we don't have to sit down anymore and, and discuss, oh, you need 20 billion bucks, we bail you out. No, because then, then the amounts are so absurd high that uh, there is no bailout because there is no money against it. What would, then it's basically a completely bankruptcy of everybody within seconds. And I mean, that risk is so high. Why Obama didn't regulate it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can stop it. Like in earlier years, 20 years ago, banks were just lending money out, right? So, and, and uh, we're not even allowed to invest on their own. And now that casino is going on and on and on. And it's like the greed drives these people because they're made a lot, making a lot of money on a daily business. The guy in the Master of the Universe, he said like, he just could not identify with people that make a hundred thousand bucks a, a year or something. He said like this where we, we did that like every week he made a hundred thousand bucks and uh, for himself, right? So, and he said like, it's totally absurd to, uh, you think everybody else is basically a, a, a minor. Everybody else is a child compared to you. You are the master. This is the reason why they named the, the movie Master of the Universe because they, they are actually sitting there and they think like, there is everybody else who's just an, an engineer in a company is a retard because we make the big bucks. But what is if not? If what is if they lose? Then they don't pay it. Then we all have to pay it. And this is the thing. It's like a huge thing. Obama did nothing about it. Only some big speeches. Some individuals got in in, in uh, jail, like Madoff and so on. But but the big banks stayed untouched, and uh, uh, the the casino is still going on. And and I think it's it's ridiculous. It's that risk is so high. I don't want to. I don't want to have that risk. So as a political guy, I would say no. We have to stop it. We have to. We have to say to the bank, if you lose four hundred billion dollars, you're done. And whoever you owe it to, maybe you cannot pay them. But the ninety nine percent of our people living in our country are not part of that casino, and we have to make sure that they still get their monthly salary and that their monthly salary uh, is not evaporizing from the account. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I want to get back to the Kickstarter project and maybe you could tell me some a little bit about the perks of the campaign. Yeah, I mean, I have it here also in front of me. So we thought about it, like what kind of price structure uh, uh, can, can, we, can we do, right? So, and... Uh, Let's see where it is here. We got a report. And um, for me, uh, the thing is this. If I see what we offer here, it means for me, if I raise 500,000, we actually have almost costs of 100,000 mm -hmm. uh, to, to deliver that prices. And I mean, this is kind of brutal because we really need the movie, uh, uh, the money to make, to make the movie. So, and... Um, I mean, to, to sign all the DVDs or Blu-rays or T-shirts, make the T-shirts, sending it all out, this has a different price in the lower regions. But then you have set visits, you have dinners with the actors, with me. You can be on set. You can be my uh, assistant on set. You can even shoot your own mini short on set or a scene. And then we, we, we put your, your scene, in the, on, at least on the DVD, uh, for in, the, in a special section on the DVD. So, I mean, we offer a lot also... For for film fans to be an extra in the movie to name to name uh, uh, a part of the movie you can you can you can find a name for Chris Coppola's uh, evil twin what is his name for example so I mean there's a lot of things there for for film freaks and and people they they are interested in uh, in just making movies but I offered now also I put that back up 
um, like basically that you can participate on the revenues. So if you put up 10,000 bucks or even more, or people contact me and they say, look, I don't want to do 10,000, I want to do 50,000, uh, then you get, and let's say the budget of the movie is 1.5 million, you would get 3.3% of the revenues. If the movie turns into whatever by accident, into a huge hit, uh, uh, you can actually make money with that investment. Um, and um, I mean, this is what, what I, I think I try to, to offer something what is fair for everybody. And I try to attract people, they maybe come up with a little more money to be more, really more active uh, on set, but also maybe trying to uh, uh, really with the bigger chunks helping us making the movie. And then, and then uh, of course, if the revenue is coming in, they're getting paid. And I mean, the good thing is I have my own world sales. You know, I don't need other companies in the end for distribution. I have deals set up that that, that movie will, will be sold in 50 countries. It's, cl it's clear, it happens. But I don't know how much money it will make. Right. right. You know, so there's a thing. I mean, it will be out there, and but we don't know what, what will happen. I mean, in the last eight years, with all that movies like Hangover, Superbad, all that all that kind of movies, that I think that humor is a little more uh accepted now. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh to go a little over the top and stuff like that. So it could be actually uh finding a bigger audience as the first part. Um, because more and more people like this this kind of edgy humor. Uh, First of all, I think it's really cool that you're adding a piece of the revenue because we talk to a lot of people that have Kickstarter projects going and I, I always thought that one day they're going to start incorporating like uh, like points off the back end and stuff like that into some of the perks. And I think that doing that is a really cool idea because that was something that I've always said filmmakers should start doing i want to ask about the the worldwide um, distribution that you were mentioning like how does how does that work as far as you you have your own distribution set up yeah i mean i'm i'm a, i'm not the direct distributor but we have i'm I have a sales company so my event film and uh basically we sell movies also from other producers around the globe we, we are also at the afm or in Cannes or in berlin and uh, and I have set up, for example, with with Horizon uh, Sony in in Australia. We have Leda Film in Latin America, in US and Canada. I always can work. Um, they basically have various choices. Uh, uh, Phase Four, for example, Barry Marowitz, he had the Postal One. Uh, Vivendi Universal, uh, uh, they have Postal One in in US. So I have already. Metrodome in England, Splendid in Germany, uh, Koch in Italy. So we have everywhere people, they would take that movie and will distribute it and we're basically getting like around 50% of the revenues. Yes. And, and this is a good thing to have if there are other distributors in the market popping up and paying us more money, offer us a better deal, we use the other ones. But we have all that relationship. So for me, it's not like um, what a lot of people have, they have the problem Will that get a deal at all? I don't have that problem because I have so many movies made and so many contacts and so many contracts that uh, I can get a movie distributed. There is no question about it. So and then it's really like, okay, how is it? How the market reacts? Is uh, you know, like in US, for example, will you get an an, an, an order from uh, Redbox? You know, like if Redbox puts you in, they are like three, four hundred thousand dollars right there. Mm -hmm. 
mm. with Redbox. How big is the Netflix payment? Like Netflix pays between sometimes 20,000, but sometimes 250,000. So there are all possibilities to make money, but it totally depends on if they like the movie, if they go behind the movie. And at, when Postal One came, iTunes really liked it and featured it on the on the main iTunes, like on the front cover for a longer time. Uh, but now, eight years later, we have not only iTunes, we have like so much more possibilities with Hulu and with, uh, with other ch uh, uh, VOD channels also. To to get it to get it distributed, and I will definitely do a small theatrical release again where I tour around with uh, with the movie. Now, does your do your films historically do better in Germany, or do they do they pull in more revenue here in the states? Uh, no, Germany, U.S. and U.K. are my best uh, markets where I make the most of the money back, yeah. and uh, I think it has to do with the content also. Like uh, that, it, it's just like made for more of this kind of uh, territories. And what is in Germany stronger uh, is my TV deals with uh, more like bigger channels uh, buying. Like in in US, a lot of times I end up with Showtime, mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. just don't pay. Right? They pay you twenty, forty thousand bucks for a movie, and it's like ridiculous low, uh, uh, way not enough. And in Germany, a lot of times we sold to RTL. And they pay like a few hundred thousand euro. Uh, so, and then th this is like, this is the money it should be, you know? It's like, I mean, it's absurd to have a movie like A Sound on Wall Street uh, or, or Rampage, and then it gets like out of TV uh, 20, 30,000 bucks from a big territory. It's ridiculous. Uh, and, uh, but it is like what it is, you know? Like Showtime, a lot of times they know. That HBO didn't bought it or didn't buy buy it. They don't want it, and and then they know who else should buy it now. Right. So they offer, they do low ball offers basically, you know. So and I mean, I can't. What should I say? I mean, the guy from Showtime, the uh, I met him uh, at a party at the AFM at one point. And he said like Darfur, my whole family was crying in front. The TV was the best movie we showed on Showtime the whole year. Wow. And I said, Yeah, but you still paid me only 20,000 bucks for it. I said, like, Why not then just stepping it up and say that four was so good, we should produce a movie like this, or we should give the guy a million bucks? <laughs> you know, but this, forget. And then they produce things on their own for like five million bucks, and you think, like, I cannot believe it. Yeah, so, I mean, that's an absurd thing. You know, also Netflix or whatever. I mean, I'm happy that they buy the movies, but why Netflix pays you 75,000 bucks for Rampage or some really good Netflix movie, and then they make Arrested Development on their own for like $25 million or something. It's like crazy. I don't get it, like what that policy is. Yeah. Well, I just have one other question for you. Uh, do you do you see yourself making going back to any other video game franchises in the future? Any ideas like on the horizon? I mean, uh, uh, I, I always, I never say I would be not interested if an interesting game comes. I get actually a lot of games offered, but they're all like completely unknown or only distributed in one country and stuff like this. And this, I'm not interested in it. If there is a, if, if there is a, a, a franchise title uh, known everywhere in the whole world or whatever, I would be definitely interested. But also the, 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 the pricing went so much up. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, like, like when I bought Far Cry, I paid 200,000 bucks. I mean, try to buy Far Cry now. It would be two or three million. 
think Ubisoft wants to do their own Far Cry movie now. And I mean, this is the thing. I, I cannot compete with that amount of uh, the numbers, basically, because since like Jerry Bruckheimer and everybody uh, uh, went into that business, of course, the price the price has exploded. Well, Uwe, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us. Best of luck with the uh, Kickstarter campaign. Yes, thank you. And send me the link. I will put the link up and I will uh, uh, put it on Facebook and so on. All right, great. Thank you again. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thanks again, Uwe. Be sure to check out the Kickstarter page for Postal 2, make a donation, and we'll have a link in the show notes so you can check that out. Let's go ahead and have a conversation with Sophie Hubert, the director of Harry Dean Stanton, Partly Fiction. Uh, Sophie, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us. Uh, I just wanted to get started by asking, how did you come about this project? Like, what, what drew you to this? Well, I've, I've known Harry for 20 years almost. And we've been friends ever since. And um, I started recording songs with him before I started doing the documentary. Because I thought he was just an amazing singer. And um, there weren't many recordings out there. Just, you know, there was a soundtrack of Paris, Texas, for which he recorded a song or two. And um, some other soundtracks that he was on. But other than that, there were no recordings of his. And um, he didn't want to go to a studio, so I would go to his house and record him there. And um, that then gave me the idea to also film it. And um, he didn't really want to do a documentary. I mean, actually, he absolutely did not want to do a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it took a very long time to persuade him. And um, there, too, once I would say just don't think in terms of biography or documentary, but just recording songs, he sort of, you know, slowly agreed to do it. Now, why do you think that he, is Is it just his personality? Is he a very kind of to himself kind of guy that, that made him want to just not really put himself out there for the, for a documentary? I think part of it is that he, um, he, he fears to reveal his most personal emotions and um, I thought it was very good what Wim Wenders said in the film that as an actor he might have to sort of keep those to himself because that's where he works from for Mm -hmm. his characters and also I think he does reveal it when he sings Um, Mm -hmm. and also the other thing is he just really is not much interested in, in, in the past he tries to live in the moment as fully as he can. So it just really doesn't interest him much, you know, what was and what he did before. It's kind of interesting the way that you you structure the documentary because it's not like your typical biopic where you have like your talking head interviews and then like photos and clips and stuff. You do have all that stuff, but essentially the film is kind of just... Uh, him telling stories about his past and then having his friends and peers and people that he's worked with essentially interview him. Like you have Chris Christopherson, David Lynch. What made you decide to kind of structure the film in that way? Well, he's not a typical man and somebody who really does not, is not interested much in his biography. It it wouldn't suit him if you did a, you know, sort of a conventional biography. Mm-hmm about somebody who doesn't want to live that kind of life. 
So I wanted to do something that would suit him and that would make you feel that you're actually spending time with him and that ideally sort of creates the atmosphere that, that I, you know, people around him sort of feel because there's some things he exudes sort of a um, calm um, atmosphere around him. And I think it is because he does want, you know, want to be present and everything. So he actually, everyone who's around him sort of relaxes being with him. And I, I wanted that feeling to come across. And um, also, you know, he always talks about everything being connected in sort of a Buddhist way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I try to to recreate that or, you know, with all these connections in the cup. I don't know if you noticed, but like almost every everything is somehow connected to what happened before or afterwards. Whether Whether it's, you know, a song that makes a connection to something more <clears throat> personal in his childhood or whatever, mm-hmm. or sometimes visual things, you know, like the guitar strings and then the telephone wires, mm-hmm. sort of connections mm-hmm. like that. I was looking for to, um, yeah, sort of show what he, what what's going on in his head, rather than other people talking about him. I wanted sort of his own thoughts to come across. Yeah, I think that 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 came off really well in in the final product and um i want to talk about the music because the music plays a pretty big role in the film there's a lot of sort of interludes that we have uh with harry kind of playing and and doing all this stuff and it seems like i think at one point in the film he said that one one thing that he regretted was not really pursuing a career in music but it seems like he's kind of he is kind of pursuing it now correct yeah, I mean that was one of the reasons why I wanted to do it. Um, as I said earlier, it, first I just wanted to record his songs. I didn't even think about filming it, but I just had I just felt like somebody needed to record him singing and put it out there mm-hmm. um, because I felt it was just so moving and truthful, um, and that it needed to be heard. And I mean, not only that, but he's actually uh, quite good singer yeah he's he's really good now ernie you you saw this at the la film fest didn't did you tell me that he was there and did a song yes he he did he was there and he did not just perform a song he performed a set after the film yeah performed a set and then went to the q a and that was i never knew that he was actually a singer and yeah uh, but then again before even going into the documentary i realized i really didn't know much about this guy so um, I just know I've seen countless of his films and love him as an actor. So I'm like, yeah. But then when I discovered him, he's a singer and actually a really good one too. Yeah. And, and then I to see him, sorry. Yeah. Oh, and then to see him live performing there, and be like, wow. That's like I would have rather just like cancel the show after this and just let him keep going. <laughs> but obviously that wouldn't happen. But. Yeah, I think that that's that's that is kind of a good point that you you bring up like i've seen a ton of his movies and i've always been a huge fan but he is kind of an an enigma where you don't really know too much about the guy it's just this kind of prominent character actor that's been in like 180 plus movies and he is just so endearing when he's on the screen that i just want to know more about him mm-hmm. yeah i mean the other thing was also that's the only, I mean, since he doesn't really talk, it's hard mm-hmm. to, you know, I mean, I needed other elements. And Now, 
what mm. comes across in the songs too is like his his skills that he has as an actor. And he, the song spoke volumes in terms of his story as opposed to what he was trying to say. I mean, yeah. just reading between the lines, just, I thought as the film went along, just listening to the songs, was like, it's like that's telling so much about what he's thinking at that moment. And speaking of the songs, um, did he choose the songs that he decided to sing, or were those just to come, like, uh, put well, in whatever songs were there, that's what you put in? No, yeah, these, these are the songs he chooses to sing. These are sort of his favorite songs to sing. And it seems like he tried to go with a variety of songs too. Yeah, I mean, we had much more. We we recorded probably almost twenty songs altogether. Oh, wow. So um, eight ended up in the cut. Wow! But so there's there gonna be a soundtrack album too. I was just about to ask about that. Yes. <laughs> when you were doing the interviews, did you have to kind of like push him to? answer questions were you kind of trying to egg him on and 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 get information out of him was that a struggle uh, <clears throat> yeah it was a bit of a struggle sometimes because i had to find the balance between getting information but not making him angry mm. were you making him angry at all like did he did, yeah, does sometimes. he have a short temper well i'm or let's say maybe it's not anger but just annoyance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he tends to like just kind of shut down and be like, "All right, yeah, I'm done, done with this." He does seem like someone that's very set in his ways, and that that kind of com- comes across when you show him like kind of going to his local watering hole, and he's been going there. I think that they said he's been going there since like the '60s, mm-hmm. and yeah, he, he seems yeah. like kind of a creature of habit. Yeah, he is. You know, like he he um, lives in his he he's been living in his house for probably thirty years. And um, he goes out probably five nights a week to that Dan Tannis. Now, he is, I think he's 86 now? Is he's 87. Right? 87 now, mm-hmm. wow. And he's been in countless numbers of films, and it seems like he isn't going to be stopping or retiring anytime soon. No, you... actually, he's going to be in a TV. He has a small part in a TV um, show. Oh really? I huh? forgot what which one it, it is, but yeah. So you don't see him stopping anytime soon? No, I I think he'll just continue as long as long as he can. That's incredible. And it's it just seems like he's it seems like he's so uh with it. Like he seems like he's still very spry, even at his age. Yeah, he is. And he's actually uh, he's coming to New York. Which you know, I I don't think he's been here in twenty years, and he usually yeah. doesn't travel, but he's gonna come for the release here. Yeah, uh, I think I think he's gonna be doing uh, the LA engagement too, which yes. is next week, and he'll be uh, performing there as well. Yeah, he'll be there on on Friday the thirteenth, I think, at the um, seven thirty uh, screening at the uh, landmark New Art Theater at at the New Art. Well, while we're while we're doing some plugs, we can we can go ahead and get into that. the The film is out Friday. The is it Friday the thirteenth? Yes. And it's going to be in limited release and video on demand. Is it going to get both? Well, video will come later. Okay, so it's going to be released in theaters this this Friday the thirteenth, and then have VOD release after that. Uh, Ernie, did you have any? Final questions for Sophie? You mentioned that you'd known him for about 20 years. And at the time, I guess it's a two-part at the time, do you think you kind of knew the man? Or did you learn more about him after you finally finished this film? Um, 
No, I felt I felt I knew him. I thought of felt I knew him even when I met him, and I, mm. you know, I think that's sort of our friendship that we have. That there's this mutual understanding. Yeah, after the film, all I want to do is just go down to Dan Tana's and hang out with him for a while. Well, <laughs> feel free. <laughs> it seems like he's the type of guy that that doesn't mind the company, like that one, the one scene at at the bar when he was just talking to that guy and just kind of shooting the shit you know like it, it seems like he's a easily approachable oh, yes. guy Is yeah that well that? i mean he he knows uh mouse has probably been there you know as many years as harry dean has mm-hmm. and they pretty much have the same conversation every night <laughs> oh, that's great well sophie thank you so much for uh taking some time to speak with us well thank you for putting it out there yeah no problem you're welcome and best of luck with the film thank you thanks again sophie be sure to check out harry dean stanton partly fiction in select cities this friday let's talk about some of what we've been watching i don't remember who started it last week was it me i think i did okay uh i had a i had a pretty decent week i started off with mario bava's bay of blood uh you're about some mario bava yeah well like i said Whenever that was a couple weeks ago or whatever, I, I'm quickly realizing that I just, I love this guy's movies. Like, everything I watch, I'm just, I love the camera work. His his cinematography is so good, and his use of color is just amazing. This is, I wasn't too into this one. It felt a little bit like kind of soap opera. Like, there's all these twists and turns. Basically, it's about this... Um, this countess who has she owns like this island or she owns like a bay and it's basically about all these it's kind of a power struggle over who inherits it and this basically everybody in this family just starts killing each other in order to try to get control of this this area and inherit her fortune and it's okay it's there's a lot of twists and turns and stuff and it's pretty bloody. There's a lot of violence, as the name would suggest. I would hope so. It definitely wasn't on the top of my list of Mario Bava movies that I've seen, but it's it's still solid. And it came out in 1970. I did what I just wanted to say one thing about Bay of Blood. I see that it it had a face to face warning. They had to warn you face to face. Yeah, there's a lot of nudity in it too, which I think was somewhat rare for the time. It was, it was decent. I think that they recently released it on Blu-ray, so you might want to check that yeah. out. Uh, and I saw The East, which I know that you saw previously. Uh, I was pretty disappointed in this. Yeah, yeah. The The story was really good, and, and I really liked it when they went on their jams. But mm-hmm. the fact that they called them jams really bothered me. And they say it like a million times <laughs> in the movie. Are we going to do that third jam? Let's do that jam. We're getting ready for the jam. I just wanted to kill myself every time they said it. I don't know yeah. why, but man. This is one of those films that like, when I first saw it, I gave it a six. I thought it was, I thought it was you know decent. But as time has passed, like any time that I'm reminded of the East, I'm just like, oh. It felt like a. Uh, it felt almost like a, just a more mainstream version of um, "Sound of My Voice." Yeah, it was just they. 
when they go off on those tangents, well, they actually take up most of the time the 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 uh, the love triangle bullshit yeah. with Britt Marlin yes. between which yeah, give me a break. That's actually where I I had a big problem with the characters. Like I didn't I didn't really know the motivations of them. I thought that the they try to shoehorn in these like little backstories for each of them that and they're terrible that are just really surface level and just don't seem seem completely unnecessary and like the i just didn't feel like the characters were that fully developed i didn't understand the motivations of a lot of them and just a lot of the stuff felt really extraneous and i just wasn't wasn't that into it i liked when they did their jams i liked mm-hmm. all that stuff like i think i think that all that stuff was really creative and i loved you know, like putting the oil in the guy's house and poisoning the people with their own medication and all that stuff. Like, I thought that was great, and I wanted more of that. But all the other stuff that was piled in there, I just wasn't that into. Yeah, it was. This is rapidly dropping for me, and I mean, it only started out as a six. It's pretty gross too. Like, I I realized that I guess this uh, the Brit Marling uh, Zal. Uh, however you say his last name, it's like... Evangel? Yeah, like, there's just something about their movies that make me... They just kind of gross me out. <laughs> like, there's just... There's just gross scenes in them. But... What did you think of this scene of when they had to eat with their hands behind their back? In straight jackets? Oh, God. I was like, what the... <laughs> this is the most ridiculous Yeah, I thought that that was... Seen. That was kind of ridiculous. That's what kind of reminded me of Sound of My Voice. There was a lot of just weird stuff in there that... Yeah, this bullshit New Agey. Yeah. Philosophies is just ridiculous. Plus, Skarsgård is just absolutely terrible. Yeah, he's he's, really, he's so terrible. He's so terrible in this movie. He's really bad in it. But uh, So, I'd probably not recommend the so East, where are you, where are you sitting? Where are you sitting for the East? On Litterboxd, I gave it a two and a half, so I'd probably sit around a five and a half out of ten. I don't know. I I want to come back to you like in two weeks' time, <laughs> just to see if you you have the same yeah. thing that happened to me. Because like now, if I were to rate this, I'd give it maybe three and a half, four, mm. maybe, and it would probably be even lower if I had to sit through it again. Yeah, I mean, I I won't see it again, so that's yeah. Uh, then I saw Sofia Coppola's The Bling Ring, finally. Ooh. This is an interesting one, because I didn't like it, but I can't figure out if I didn't like it because of the movie itself or just because of the subject matter. Mm. I can't I can't pinpoint it, and I've been thinking about it since I saw it. Uh, essentially, this, is, this tells the true story of the group of teenagers that would break into famous people's homes and burglarize their homes and the way that you know because they're bratty privileged teenagers they didn't bother trying to hide it like they're posting pictures on facebook of the stuff that they stole and they weren't like going out and saying that they did it but i mean it was pretty obvious once the stuff started being reported as being stolen Mm -hmm. and it's the movie is essentially just them going into a house, stealing, and then partying afterwards. Just over and yeah, over again? Yeah, it was like, just rinse, repeat. Like, the, just that over and over again. And there was very little other than that. 
in the movie. Like you didn't really get to know the who these kids were, but at the same time, it's like, do I really want to know them? Not really. Yeah. But not really, because they're just you know these kind of typical superficial celebrity obsessed uh, teenagers. And obviously, this movie's trying to shine a light on that and point it out. It, it, just, it, it seems like you're better off just reading about it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that this came out so close to Spring Breakers because it it does share a lot of themes with Spring Breakers, um, but it didn't work as well in this one. And yeah, there were there were a couple other funny things like that they. They actually filmed this in Paris Hilton's house, and her house is ridiculous. Like, just unbelievable. Laughable. (laughs) I would say maybe it's a light recommend. There were a couple really cool, like, uh, cinematography-type things that they did in this. There was one scene that they broke into a house, and they where they positioned the camera it was like really far away from the house and you know this is up like on the hollywood hills one of these super fancy nice amazing looking properties and Mm. the camera was positioned really far away from the house and it was one of these houses where like everything's glass so you can see like everything inside the house and you would see the kids go in and then each light would turn on in each room that they would go in Mm-hmm. And it was almost completely silent. There was like no sound or anything. And then as they were like wrapping up, the camera slowly started zooming in on the house. And that was like a really cool kind of stylistic flourish that they used. But it stops there. Yeah, for the most part, it was pretty typical. There were some interesting visual elements, but nothing really stood out except for that one scene. So Bling Ring, I would say... This very very light recommend. I it's like I want to like Sofia Coppola, but I just <laughs> she keeps doing things. I just can't <laughs> seem to can't seem to get in yeah. there. Yeah, I I'm the same way. But I'm at the point now where I I don't even want to like her. <laughs> I'm just like well, I, to me. I'm at the point where I'm asking why I want to like her. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true too. I don't know. know, It's probably one of those things you feel as though you should like her. Yeah. But uh, that's not the case. Yeah, unfortunately. You you shouldn't. There's numerous other directors out there that are more deserving of your time. Yeah. Uh, One one that is not deserving of your time is We're the Millers. Oh, Rawson Marshall Marshall Thurber. Yeah. Uh, this, This was a pretty big mess. Pretty big mess. I mean, this is this is the same guy that directed Dodgeball, which. I'm a big fan and, of dodgeball. And Terry Tate off his linebacker. Loved Terry Tate <laughs> off his linebacker. <laughs> it's one of the greatest shorts I've ever seen. Love it. Uh, I did not love Where the Millers. It's unfunny. It's extremely predictable. I mean, you know where this movie's going a mile away. And yeah. it's... There were, there were a few one-liners and... Not one-liners, but like throwaway lines... Mm-hmm. That made me laugh. There was maybe three or four that I don't remember. One of the, one of the funny little things was there was a new stripper where Jennifer Aniston works, and they were talking about stripper names. And she's like, "Oh, which what's your stripper name?" And she's like, "Well, 
I have a tattoo that has my nickname on it and I could use that. And she's like, Oh, that's great. What is it? And she like pulled down, uh, she had like a, a tattoo, like on her, uh, on her hip that was like, it said, uh, boner garage, <laughs> with an arrow pointing down. <laughs> and then, and then the next scene you see Ken Marino pop in and go boner garage. You're up. <laughs> And I, if, that was actually really funny, that her name was Boner Garage. <laughs> but oh my god! But it's not it's not very good. Really, mm. really do not recommend that one. It's un- mm. it's unfortunate. This was abs- one of the uh, the most annoying uh, trailers of the year. Again, like every single time it came on, I was just. I got so pissed off. Again, I will say that I think that the posters and the cardboard stand-up for this is the worst thing I've ever seen just because it doesn't make any sense at all. It's the one where it has like... It's annoying. It's like, she's a mom, but she's really a stripper. She's a she's the daughter, but she's really a homeless vagrant. And then it's like, he's the son, but he's really a virgin. It's like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And I know I've talked about it before on the show, but it just really bothers me. Mm. Uh, then I saw I Spit on Your Grave too. Anchor Base Finest. <laughs> uh, the thing about this one is it's probably better than the first I Spit on Your Grave remake. It's the same director and everything, but this one just seems like it's it's pretty well made, but it is so extreme. It's like, you know, with a lot of these sequels, it's like, oh, we got to go bigger. Got to go bigger, more extreme. And mm-hmm. they went so far with this movie. It's You will be blown away at the level of gross-out, bloody torture violence that you will see in this movie. Like, it is mind-boggling. But <laughs> it actually brought up something interesting when I was thinking about it, because... What happens in this movie is way more extreme than the original I Spit on Your Grave from the 70s. However, okay. when I saw the, the original I Spit on Your Grave, I was so deeply disturbed by everything that I was seeing on camera. Like, it just gets under your skin, and it is, it's like one of these movies you just can't unsee it. You will remember it forever. Mm-hmm. And with this one, even though it's so much worse what you see on camera i'll forget it i'll forget about it by next week and it made me think about like okay what what's the difference you know what makes the original one so memorable and so deeply disturbing that i will remember it forever and could could be the like the production and and that's exactly what it is it's the production this movie looks too good it looks too glossy and crisp and new. It doesn't have that worn, grainy, uh, you know, kind of uh, like just that realism where it just looks yeah. like what you're watching is fucking real. And with these new movies, when they use like digital cameras and stuff, it just doesn't. It feels like a movie. And I'm glad. It, I guess I'm glad it feels like a movie because. If it looked real and I really thought that somebody was getting their balls literally ripped off by a vice. Oh. I mean, 
Uh-huh. I would probably, yeah. But this is your pretty typical torture porn. It follows the exact same plot as all the other ones where it's a girl. She gets brutally raped by a group of men. The The crazy thing about this one is that they... They not only rape her, but then they kidnap her and take her to Bulgaria and keep her as a sex slave. Lord. Yeah, it's it's horrific, dude. It is so... See, I, I mean, you tell me what the film is about. I have... I don't want to see yeah, that. Yeah, who wants to watch that? I don't want to watch that. How is that entertaining? Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. And some of the stuff that happens, like when she... She obviously gets brutalized. They leave her for dead. Then she comes back and gets revenge on all of them. And I think that that's what draws people into these movies is the revenge aspect. You know, it's it's being able to, to see these horrible human beings get their just desserts. And yeah. the revenge that she takes on these guys is so over the top and brutal. Like, she she chains a guy to a wall and then takes a knife and, like, cuts these real deep cuts into him like all over his body on his face on his chest his legs whatever everywhere and then takes cans of piss and shit and vomit Mm. and like Mm -hmm. rotten food and rubs them in the cuts and just Mm. and then just leaves him there Mm. is the first cut the deepest uh yeah by any chance sure okay yeah we'll say it is good but there's a ton of really just gross, horrible things in this movie, and it's I can't recommend it to anybody. It's second follow up question: Where did she get all the piss and shit? And she's just been like storing it I for guess, like the last couple of weeks. I don't, I don't know if it really is piss and shit. Like it's something really gross. Something it's terrible. something really terrible. Like because when she escapes, she ends up living in this like underground tunnel. Mm, so maybe okay. she's like peeing and pooping in a can. <laughs> I don't know, but it's really gr- it. It looks I don't know what uh, it looks like. It's just disgusting. It's a really disgusting, horrific movie. Oh god! So ch- if you're into like the torture porn stuff, that that gets you. If you're into that, it's probably worth checking out. Otherwise, stay far, far, far away. Wow! And I saw Riddick. Dick Riddick. Dick Riddick. Richard B. Riddick. Here, here's the thing about this movie. I had no expectations going into it. Uh, we talked about Chronicles of Riddick last week, which was uh, not... I didn't like it. It was kind of a mess. Didn't even watch the whole thing, actually. Fell asleep. But I did like Pitch Black a lot. And I like the character of Riddick. I think he's a cool character. This movie starts off so strong. The first act of this movie... While I was sitting in the theater, I was like, I can't believe they're doing this. This is fucking amazing. The first maybe, I want to say 30 minutes, there's no dialogue. It's just him alone on this planet just trying to survive. And it seems just like everything is trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. And the way that it's shot and just the whole tone and how, how it works is so good. And I was just so... Uh, on the edge of my seat and interested and just enthralled by what was happening on the screen. It was just really, really entertaining and I was loving it. As the film progressed, it started dragging a bit and around the second act, the midway point, that's when the people, like the bounty hunters, end up on the planet and then it kind of reverts back to 
the way Pitch Black was. Mm. But and that's that's unfortunate because the beginning part of the movie I thought was phenomenal. But as it progressed, it just got slowly more mediocre and more cheesy. Like by the end, like the final scene is so cheesy. And it's a shame because if it if it wasn't for the, the, the bad CG, first of all, it has really terrible CG. Great. If it wasn't for the bad CG and the occasionally cheesy dialogue, this movie would be, you know, an, another pitch black. It'd be like a sci-fi, it'd be like a sleeper hit, I guess. But unfortunately, some of the dialogue is really snappy and smart and funny, but some of it is just ridiculous and laughably bad mm-hmm. but i do i will say that i recommend riddick i was surprised at how much i overall liked it and that that first third is enough to go to go see it it's it's really interesting hmm. i was surprised i really was so check out riddick and then uh, the other film i saw is harry dean stanton partly fiction which i guess we'll be talking more about next week so i'll, mm. I'll hold off there you go. That's that's it. That's all I got. I have two. I watched two movies. Saw the week. Had some uh, personal medical things pop up. So I only got to watch two, one of which was three hours long. So that took a while, which was The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Yep. Finally got to see some Sergio Leone, which I, I feel like thinking back after seeing this, like that was... It was part of one of my goals this year, resolution, watch more Westerns, because for some reason I'm so trepidatious when it comes to Western films. And I'm sort of confused by myself that I didn't start with Sergio Leone, but whatever. I did it now, finally got around to it, and I'd say I fucking love the shit out of this movie. It was the perfect blend of everything, really. And it takes these, like, detours... Throughout the, I mean, it's three hours long, so they have plenty of time to take detours. Mm-hmm. But they all work so well together. And I mean, it's got revenge, double crossing, just cold-blooded killing. Got the Civil War thrown in there. Why not? Mm. Uh, you got people conning people. They're looking for buried treasure. It's, I mean, it's got everything, really. It's got some comedy. There's a lot of comedy in this film, which was slightly surprising. Um and now I finally get to understand the whole Clint Eastwood Western movie mm-hmm. version, which I've never seen Clint Eastwood in a Western. So this is my first one. And I, I mean, all he does is smoke cigars and squint. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really all he does. I mean, he does, he occasionally delivers some one liners. But overall, he's pretty much just a badass. But uh, Eli Wash, who's played, who plays uh, Tuco, who is sort of like his quote-unquote partner in crime, he absolutely steals the show in this movie. He's unbelievable. And then the other, the he plays, you know, the ugly. And then there's Lee Van Cleef, who plays the bad, who is just, a f- I mean, just the look of this guy is evil. I mean, he didn't even have to do anything or say anything throughout the film. You just knew that he was the bad. But, I mean, for good measure, he does shoot a dying man. In the face, point blank rage, four times, four times. I mean, you're just wasting bullets at that point. Hmm. It's unnecessary. That's just you know. But the 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 entire sequence that I love is there's a point in which uh, Tuco makes 
Blondie. It's Clint Eastwood, if you don't know by now. Because I think I'm maybe like the last out of like three people to see this film. It makes them, you know, trek through the desert with no water, no food, nothing. Just walk through the desert. And just that entire sequence is stunning. Just the way that they do it, uh, the shots that they use, the cinematography, everything is just amazing. And then the, the main thing that really got me was the set designs. Um, when they finally get to the cemetery, you know, they're looking for the buried treasure in a, in a marked grave. They built, the, you know, the cemetery didn't exist, so they built one. So in the middle, there's this giant, uh, like, stone circle. And then it's just graves radiating outward from the circle. And Tuco gets there first, and he's just running around like a madman trying to find the grave that they're looking for for the treasure. And then, of course, they do the infamous Mexican standoff in the in the stone circle. And just that whole sequence at the end is just amazing. It's absolutely perfect. And just the, the idea of them building that, which, I mean, just doesn't really happen anymore nowadays. Mm-hmm. Because everything's, you know, done with computers and CGI bullshit. And, they, I mean, they built, like, this entire, um, like, battlefield and a bridge that they blow up at one point. It's just, it's quite a spectacle. Highly recommend it. And I think I'm slowly liking Westerns. I think it's just a matter of seeing the right ones. Yeah. I'm realizing that I don't like John Ford Westerns. Sergio Leone, Italian Westerns. Yes, very much so. Yeah, Peck and Paul did a lot of westerns, didn't he? Yeah, I gotta, I gotta check a couple of those out. Uh, the only other one that I watched was Double Hour, which just came out in two thousand nine. Sort of a crime mystery, romantic slash psychological drama type deal, um, directed by Giuseppe Capitondi. And I remember hearing good things about this film. And then the reason I ended up watching it is because I recently saw that uh, Joshua Marston, who did the The Forgiveness of Blood, is doing a remake, which with uh, Michelle Williams and Joel Edgerton. So I thought, oh, let me check out the original. And I was, you know, I was in the mood for this type of film. I wanted to see, you know, a film with some twists. I wanted to make up for passion. Mm. I wanted to make up for that train wreck. And this incorporated the plot device that I hated a lot in passion. I mean, it didn't do it as often as passion did, but it still incorporated it. At least it was a variation on that plot device. Uh, this is also a difficult movie to discuss, really, because, I mean, everything is almost spoiler territory. But I can say that it's not its not good. <laughs> I'm, I mean, it's the cinematography's, like, above average. I wouldn't say it's bad, but, I mean, it does its job. All the acting's fine. They're serviceable. They do a good job. Um, but there's nothing here to, like, really get excited about. And I'm just really confused as to why this is being remade. I I don't understand. But whatever. Hmm. People are wasting their time. But it's just... And the reveal comes... The movie's uh, 95 minutes. Okay. So the reveal comes at like the hour mark. Where it it takes the big twist. And as soon as that twist happens, it just like everything falls into place. Like everything's wrapped up. You're, You're like, oh, okay, I get it now. But then the film still goes on for another 35 minutes. And you're just sitting there like, what the fuck is the point? <laughs> like, I know what happened. I mean, there's still, there's still like this, uh, 
a sliver of like, oh, how's it going to play out? But really, you don't really care. I mean, you know everything that you wanted to know, and the ending is really completely pointless. Mm. I was just, I was sorely, sorely disappointed. That sounds like I'll be skipping this one then. Yeah, I would, I would definitely skip it. All right. That's it, dude. Killed it. All right, let's go over the results of our summer movie poll. Ryan, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, sir? Uh, relieved. Relieved? Because I just urinated. All right. (laughs) All right. Uh, Good info. Good info. Uh, So what we do every summer is we make our predictions of what we think will be the highest grossing movies of the year. We go by the time travel review scoring system to kind of score the results. And it goes from... When does it start? It's like early, sometime in May through Labor Day. I can't remember when uh, when the season officially starts. But either way, let's go ahead and go over them. I think that what we'll do is we'll just kind of go go through our our numbers like one by one, and then kind of just tally them up. So we'll start with number ten. I thought for number ten, I I said Despicable Me two. Kevin, what did you say on that? I said, uh, this is the end. Mm. Not on the list at no. all. None of mine from 10 to 5 are on the list. <laughs> well, it's funny, because, like, normally, normally there's a, there seems to be an R-rated comedy that will always make it in the top 10, and there, there was one this year, but it was The Heat. It wasn't, uh, wasn't This is the End, and, which is really surprising to me, because... I thought that this is the end was so much better than the heat. Oh yeah, but. and I thought it would be, it would make a lot more money because of you know who's involved. Yeah, exactly. They are re-releasing it in theaters, so it probably will make a bit more. But yeah, the heat the heat ended up at number eight with uh, over 157 million, which isn't even that much looking back at other years. Like this was a really really shitty year. Oh yeah. This was a bad summer. So, Ryan, what was your number 10? Iron Man 3. Uh, Iron what? Man 3. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, that, a, made, that was a, a little... Five, two, dead. Keep it down over there. What the hell? I mean, I'm, I, yeah, I've that... had some bad decisions on here, but... I mean, number one, this isn't my wheelhouse. But Just number two, wait. Iron Man 3 at 10. Just, <laughs> Just Mine get worse if you don't remember. All right, number nine, I had Lone Ranger. Kevin, what do you have? I had the Wolverine. That's not even on the list no, either. It's not. A number of them are. I had Monsters U. Monsters U? That is on the list. That's um, number four is Monsters University. Uh, Lone Ranger's not on the list either, so I didn't even see that. It ended up being a complete failure i hate to spoil so. it but that's my number one and it's, <laughs> it's not uh, even on the list yes yeah, not it didn't even make it didn't even make it number eight i have pacific rim not on the list kevin what do you have number eight i have this is my favorite one i have planes <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
Reeds. Three hundred rods from that bike. <laughs> That's my favorite one. <laughs> 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 he, he picks a movie that doesn't come out until March of next year. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. All right. Number seven, I had the Wolverine. Not on the list. <laughs> Kevin, what did you I have? I had uh, Kick-Ass 2. Not on the list. Ryan, what do you have? Dang, part three. <laughs> Not on the list. <laughs> Oh my god. The actual number seven was World War Z. Surprise. I actually came very close to doing a spit take. <laughs> oh god. Uh, World War Z ended up with uh, 200.7 million. So not too bad for World War Z. I was, I was it, pleased. It lost a shit ton of money. Yeah. What, I, what did it end up costing? It was just. Because I remember the reshoots and stuff ended up costing them, like, so much more. It's terrible. There's actually a write-up in the new uh, film comment, because they talk about that. Because the other thing that you sort of forget is what's not considered in the budget of the film is the the marketing budget, which was Mm -hmm. insanely huge for this film. Yeah, what did did Soderbergh say in his speech about marketing? Like, it normally costs an additional... 40 or 60 million for a wide release for marketing or something that's like that. That's just, that's stupid to me. Yeah, it's, cr- it's crazy. It, it really, crazy. Fe- I, I really get the feeling that they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> they just, they don't know anything. Yeah, I don't know about that. It's, it's crazy. Number six, I had Star Trek Into Darkness, and that was right on the money. Kevin, what do you mm, have? Number six, I have uh, Pacific Rim. Mm, not on the list. Ryan, what do you have? That's number six. Uh, that is on the list. That's on the list. So, um, number five, I had "This Is the End," which isn't on the list. Mm. Kevin, I had the Lone Ranger. Not on the list, Ryan. The Wolverine. <laughs> Not on the list. <laughs> uh, I I have I think a lot of people that did summer predictions. I have a feeling a lot of people had to be off this year. Oh, yeah. Because it's just such a... For me, which one one am I thinking of? Uh, Pacific Rim. Like, even though that that film didn't do well, I thought that there was so much excitement that, like, everyone would still go and see it. It's really perplexing to me as to why no one saw it. I mean, people were freaking out for, like, two years about that damn film. Yeah, I just, I don't get it. Maybe it's just, like, Del Toro fanboys. Well, I think were really I think that's the other it, problem with the market. I think they start way too early nowadays. Which by the time it, it comes out, be. you're just sick and tired of it. Because the same thing happened to me with World War Z. I, oh, I, I was God. into that, but it was like marketing for like a year and a half. And by the time it finally came to theaters, I was so sick and tired of it. Yeah, yeah. It it just like oversaturates. Yeah. the market. Yeah, I think um, 60, 60 million well spent. Right there. Fortunately, with Pacific Rim, it made enough money overseas to warrant a sequel. So there will be oh, that, most likely that's a, a, that's a great idea. That should really work out for everybody. I I thought Pacific Rim was great, and it was one of my favorite movies of the summer. I so. honestly think that it looks like someone playing with action figures. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> No, it's just a it's a fun movie. I mean, it wasn't the best movie I've ever seen or anything, but looking at what came out this summer, 
it's definitely oh, yeah. near the top of the list for me because it was such a disappointing summer. I mean, nothing was good. Everything was garbage. It was horrible. Dude, yeah, this year was terrible. I think that every everything's gearing up to the 2015 the 2015 year. That's going to be the year. That's going to be like the biggest year ever. Have you seen the lineup for 2015? No, I have not. <clears throat> Probably a lot of films that I'm not interested in. No, yeah, well, any big blockbusters. Up. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the blockbusters. It's not my style. It's not my scene. It's not my scene, Ryan. So, 2015, Batman vs. Superman, The Avengers, Age of Ultron, Star Wars Episode Seven, Ant-Man, A New Pirates of the Caribbean, Assassin's Creed, Jurassic Park 4, uh, The Finding Nemo sequel, Terminator 5, and uh, those are just the ones that are listed on IMDb. I think there's going to be some other ones, too. So that's going to be a huge year of most likely crap. We should start doing, instead of top 10, we should start picking the flops of the summer. Well, that's that's pretty much what we're going to have to do <laughs> soon. <laughs> we should everything, do the like, top 10, and then see, but the goal should be not to have any movies on the top 10. <laughs> See yeah. who does the best then. Well, like, I mean, most of the movies that came out this summer were disappointments for everybody all around. Mm-hmm. Like, critics yeah. were not blown away by anything. And even the movies that I liked don't hold a candle to some of what's come out previously. Yeah. You know, it's just... I mean, you look at this top ten and it just gets a resounding meh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so number four, we have, I, I said Fast and Furious 6. Kevin, what did you say? I had Star Trek. This is, this is where Trek. I actually start gaining some points. I start accruing points at this point, at number four. <laughs> <laughs> Up until now, I've been posting zeros. Not me. <laughs> Ryan, what did you say? World War Z. World War Z? That's on the well, list. It's on the list. It's on the list, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the actual, what, wait, I'm sorry, what are we on for? <clears throat> the actual number four is Monsters University. This is, see, this is around where I started accruing points, too, because for four, I said Fast and Furious, and that's actually number five. And then number three, I said Monsters University, which is actually number four. Kevin, what did you say for number three? I had uh, Monsters University as well. And Ryan, what did you have? Pacific Rim. Mm. That's a shame. Yeah, uh, number two, I had Man of Steel. Kevin, what did you have? I had Iron Man 3. And Ryan, what did you have? I also had Man of Steel. So, the actual number two is Despicable Me 2. Wow. Yeah. So, Man of Steel is actually number three. Despicable Me 2. Like... I just I thought that that was going to be in the top 10. You know, I picked it at number 10, but it just looks so bad. I was like, there's just no way that this can beat Monsters University. People are fucking in love with those minions for some reason. And it, I, I mean, it crushed, it crushed Monsters University. It had 355.8 million compared to Monsters Use 264.3. It just, it crushed it. Sad. Sad day. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see Despicable Me, but it looked horrible. Dude, it has those minions. You don't, you don't need to know anything else. Well, and they're, I guess they're going to be making a minion movie, oh, too. Oh, thank God. Is, 
Because that's exactly what everyone, everybody wants that. Parents, kids, they just want a minion movie. Oh my god, could you imagine having can you, kids can you... and having to watch that thing like five times? Oh, I wouldn't do it. If my kid wanted to go see the minions, I'd say sorry, no. Nope. Sorry, nope. asshole, no way. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I, I would hope that my kid would be, you know, nah. ha- have good enough taste to be like, nah, I don't think so. Uh, number one, we have Iron Man 3. That's what I said. Kevin, you said Iron Man 3 as well. No, right? I said Man of Steel. I oh, I that's right. It. I flipped it. You flipped it. Mm. I'm just uh, sort of surprised. I, well, I guess on the strength of the first two Iron Mans. Because I, n- I never thought anyone was ever into Iron Man. Like, before the movies came out? No, <laughs> not before the movies came out. But after the movies came out, they made it cool again. So Iron Man was never cool. Superman was never cool. They both suck. Both fucking terrible. Well, I like the Iron Man movies. Yeah. They're good. They're all right. You've only seen like two, right? (laughs) He saw the worst one. (laughs) Oh, and Ryan, you said Lone Ranger? Yep. Yep. Let me go out on a limb and say that's my best prediction ever. I did. I, th- I, st- I still think your best prediction is 300. Uh, yeah, that's a good. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you do that all last right. year, too? Or would, well, yeah, we, we all, all did. We all did G.I. Joe. Yeah. That's right. Okay. All right. What an awesome uh, movie that was. Oh, it was so good. So worth the wait. <laughs> so worth it. Let's tally up the scores here. Ryan, what did you have? 23. Kevin, what did you have? 24. And I had 47. So we'll have to, uh, next year will be the big tiebreaker between me and you, Kevin. Last year, Kevin beat me by one point. What if I I win next year? Then it'll be a three-way tie. I don't think that'll be even worry about that. <laughs> Wishful no, thinking, Kevin. Not to be a dick or anything, but if you keep going 300s and Lone Ranger at number one and, <laughs> and Iron Man three at ten, I don't. We have nothing to worry about. Hey man, three hundred is it's a good but, it, Correct me if I'm wrong. Three hundred is a good movie. No, no. <laughs> Let's correct me if I'm wrong, but even when we did that episode, wasn't like all the numbers out for Iron Man three? A lot of the numbers. Yeah, it, I think it was still playing in theaters, and I think that it was just like leaps and was, bounds um, above everyone. And Ryan was like, "No, every other yeah. movie afterwards is going to destroy that number, especially Lone Ranger." I wish I was there. I, I could mean, pat you, you on the back, tell you it'll be okay. I'll pat myself on the back for you. Good. I mean, you can kind of. You can see the patterns, you know, when it comes to predicting them. Like, if you go to Box Office Mojo and pull the numbers and look at last year's, it's it's kind of... You can see the patterns emerge. Mm-hmm. Like It's not as fun as it, that it, way, though. No, like just do it's it not as fun as just randomly picking numbers. <laughs> randomly picking movies. I like to go, like next plates. Next year, uh, Tyler Perry's Single single Moms Club comes out. That might so be maybe my can, number one next year. The big big ones next summer we have Godzilla, the new X Men movie, the new Pixar, the Good Dinosaur, 
Dinosaur? I think that's... Yeah, that's Pixar. Uh, Seth MacFarlane's A Million Ways to Die in the West. Some sci-fi movie called Edge of Tomorrow, the one with Tom Cruise. Uh, the new teenage, the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They're not Twenty One Mutant Ninja Turtles. They're only mutant. no, they changed it. They they are again. Oh, they did change it. Yeah, they changed it back. <laughs> I'm sure that's gonna be shit. It's gonna be terrible. Twenty Two Jump Street comes out next summer. How to Train Your Dragon Two. Yeah. Think like a man too. Yeah. What is? I don't even know what that mm-hmm. is. What's Think Like a Man? Is that that Steve Steve Harvey? Uh, Oh, thank you. That's it. That is African American comedy. Think Like a Man. Transformers Four comes out. Maleficent. Uh huh. What? That's the one with um, uh, Angelina Jolie. She plays like a witch. Oh, great! That's great. Fast and Furious Seven. Excited for that, Ryan. Uh, no. No. I'm done I heard the that they, they added uh, they added Tony Jaw to that one, and they added somebody else big. Kurt Russell's. He's rumored. Kurt Russell's rumored. Vin Diesel and The Rock. Yeah, they're all in it. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes comes out next summer. Planes Two. Oh, Planes Two is definitely making it. <laughs> you gotta you gotta put it on the list. <laughs> Uh, the live-action Hercules. I think the rocks in that. Guardians of the Galaxy, Fifty Shades of Grey, Dracula. Dude, every single thing that you're Expendables just three. Wait a minute, they're making a movie based on Fifty Shades of Grey. Where the fuck yeah. have you been? Your boy Charlie Hunnam's in it. Uh, from Sons of Anarchy. Sin City, a dame to kill for. That might be on my list. It won't be on my list, but I, I want to see it. Dolphin Tale 2? Ugh. Box Trolls. That looks pretty interesting. Oh, wait. Sorry. That's not... That's in September 26th. Box that's, Trolls? That's Is that what you said? It's by the... It's by the creators of Coraline and Paranorman. Uh. So, anything that they do, I'm immediately on board. All right. Well, I think that that wraps it up. Ryan, thank you so much for uh, coming back on the show. Sweet. See you guys later. Let's talk about some predictions. We only did one last week. Riddick, you said 24. I said 18. Actual 58. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, on Riddick. Dick, so. Dick Riddick posted a, posted a decent score, huh? Yeah, yeah. Next week, we have Insidious Chapter 2. What are you thinking on this one? I, I have no idea how to rate this. Because to me, I'm thinking, like, honestly, like a 10. But... People seem to like this for some reason. So I'm going to go like a 50, 58. What I'm wondering is, is it played out by this point? Like, oh, are, it's are played we, out. Are they, is it, it enough? It, because we just, we just had The Conjuring a couple months ago. It is played out. I'm going to say, man, it, it is a tough one. It is a tough one. Something tells me that it's not going to be as revered as the first one so i'm gonna say like 52 mm, that's a good choice good i'm probably choice. gonna be completely wrong and it's gonna get like a 75 or something yeah. uh the only other wide release i think is the family which is the new luke Besson movie with robert de niro and michelle pfeiffer uh, this does not appeal to me whatsoever yeah this looks terrible i just don't like those kinds of action comedies 
Like, they just don't appeal to me at all. I'm going to say 42. I'm going to say 36. You know what? I should have. Yeah, you should have. I should have. I should have lowered it. Yeah, you should have. That's way too high. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, I'll just keep it. In limited release, we have Blue Caprice, which is the... That's the one about the DC snipers. Mm-hmm. Am I the only person that has absolutely no interest in this film whatsoever? It's a little film. I mean, it's not... But, I mean, I'm just hearing great things everywhere. I'm interested in it. Did you see the trailer? Uh, I don't think so. The trailers what had me int- got me interested in it. Like the just reading about it and stuff, I was like, eh. No, nah, never, never, never mind. Leo Fitzpatrick's in it. I'm watching it. Yeah, the the trailer sold me on it. So that's in limited release. Wajda, is that how you say it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's coming out in limited release too. Heard pretty good things about that one. We do have a review for that up. First film from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Harry Dean Stanton, Partly Fiction, Mother of George, 4, which we saw last year, Mm -hmm. finally getting a release. (laughs) I guess we can do a review for that, since we we both saw that for the Independent Spirit Awards. If we get around to it. I'm really hoping to see Mother of George instead. Uh, Yeah. Because 4 was meh. Yeah, it was. Informant, which... I don't know too much about that one. Is it the Matt Damon one? That was pretty good. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, I don't remember what country it's from. No. Uh-huh. And Sample This, which is a music documentary. I feel like these music documentaries are getting out of control. The documentaries in general <laughs> are getting out of control. There's, there like are... a, there's a documentary for fucking everything. Well, I know that we watch a lot of docs. We've... Uh, we, we we get a lot of documentaries sent to us. Yeah, I think we should put a moratorium on documentaries for a little bit. It's, just, it's getting out uh, of control, dude. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes I have to tell people, like, uh, yes, I will. We, we can do it, but you just got to give us a couple weeks here to recover from all the other ones. I mean, people are making documentaries about everything. Things that yeah. don't need documentaries. Speaking of documentaries that don't need to be made, next week on VOD we have Bronies, the extremely unexpected adult fans of My Little Pony. How's that for a segue? That is perfect. Yeah. Uh, that comes out on the 13th. All I, is br- I ac- actually, uh, my wife just found out about Bronies. Oh, yeah? Yeah. She, she couldn't believe it. She didn't understand it. I can't believe it and understand it either. I can't either. And then I was trying to describe it to her. Well, here's the thing. I actually, when I first heard about this whole brony thing, I was like, what's, I don't get it. So what I did was I actually watched like two episodes of the show and I still don't get it. Because I was thinking maybe there's some sort of, you know how they do with, with like Adventure Time or shows that, that are kind of for kids, but can also be enjoyed by adults, mm-hmm. you know, or, or like, I would say that adventure times for older kids. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, Oh, well maybe that's what this new, new, my little pony is, but it's not, it's just for kids. And it's, it's yeah. not just for kids. It's for little girls. It's just like, I mean, like I, I might actually, there's a part of me that doesn't want to judge people. And like, you know, if you're not hurting anyone, cool. Enjoy whatever you want. Oh no! But then, I mean, but then they, when like you see like the uh, what it's the 
the conference or whatever. Oh yeah, I can't remember what it's called. It's probably called like BronyCon or something. Yeah, I think it is because it takes place in Baltimore. I think now. Oh really? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, each his own. I just I just don't get it. I might actually watch this documentary just maybe to to understand it better. This sure. was actually funded on Kickstarter, and it. I remember that it made like 400 or 500% of wow. what it was going after. Like it made a ton of money. So wow. I, I am kind of interested to see what that's all about. Uh, we also have on VOD All is Bright, which is the, it's a pre-theatrical release with <clears throat> Paul Rudd and Paul Giamatti. It's like a Christmas story. Looks really bad, actually. So I, mean, I was actually, I was interested in this when it was first announced, and then I just recently saw the trailer. Yeah, and I see that Anchor Bay is attached, which I don't well, think Anchor Bay has ever done anything good. Well, I disagree with you there, but I think Anchor Bay has some good. They do some good um, horror releases, like re-releases of old horror movies and stuff. Okay, maybe maybe I just don't know about this. I'm just uh, thinking of like new. Anchor Bay. As far as like anything, well, first of all, Anchor Bay came out with the Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, like special edition mm. DVDs, like those big box sets and stuff. They're also the ones that came out with that really cool looking Sleepaway Camp survival kit mm. box set. Yeah. I'm... So, like, a, a lot of their DVD releases are really cool, like cool packaging and a lot of really good special features and stuff. But as I... far as their non-horror releases or contemporary horror releases yeah they're not the best i I forgot that they came out with cody the robo sapien yeah there you go and i spit on your grave too uh yeah yep so there you go you know they're uh good they're genre film good stuff think they they have some some stuff out there but uh so yeah anyway i'm not really that interested in sample or um all is bright uh we also have informant and sample this that are getting day and date releases on vod so check those out uh dvd and blu-ray releases for this week we have star trek into darkness that's the big one did you hear about the the whole like controversy that's going on with that where the uh the the commentary track is only being released on the itunes edition that's fucking stupid yeah it's it's kind of weird but uh, we also have War Witch, We Steal Secrets, The Story of WikiLeaks, Wish You Were Here, Frankenstein's Army, and the Friday the 13th Complete Collection, which I'm, I was vaguely interested in this, but then I found out that the special features are really, really slim on this, and uh, that kind of makes me not very interested. And, like, all the... There's, like, no director's cuts for the earlier stuff, and I don't know. It just seems like kind of a... It's a big box set. Like, it has all of the Friday the 13th, including Freddy vs. Jason and the remake. So it's literally everything. Mm. And it's on, I think, nine Blu-rays and one DVD. Jeez. And it's, I want to say, 12 or 13 movies. Wow. So... You know, if you're a diehard fan, you might want to check that out. But I'm kind of hoping for a Blu-ray box set of that that just has some 
more like fleshed out special features because it's kind of slim pickings. There's there's also a new documentary coming out about the Friday the Thirteenth series that looks pretty good. Hmm. It's called like Crystal Lake Camp Crystal Lake Memories or something. Mm. I was never decent. I was never into those. I like them as far like as far as like the big you know B slashers go. I like Friday the Thirteenth the best. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right, well I think that that will oh, we do. do we, it. we have two criteria. Oh, I forgot yeah, to mention. Uh, we have the original, the Birdcage, the French version from uh, 1978 that of course was remade into the one with Nathan Lane and Robin Williams and that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have the original that's coming out, uh, and then another one is the Spy Who Came In From the Cold, directed by Martin Ritt from 1965, based on the John Le spy novel. So if you're a fan of the the Le spy novels, I I actually want to check this out. This is the one I'm interested in. The original Birdcage, not so much. Okay. There you have it. For all latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us an email at feedback at filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate it very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. I am Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. He's a poet. He's a picker. He's a prophet. He's a pusher. He's a pilgrim and a preacher and the problem when he's stoned. He's a walking contradiction, partly truth and partly fiction. Taking every wrong direction on his lonely way back home. Let, let me, I'm just going to fucking redo the whole thing. <laughs> you guys, I got all mixed up.